Today I'm going to challenge you to shed a skin so that you can experience a new level of yourself that you haven't experienced yet. Yesterday my son learned how to swim. He took a huge leap forward in confidence in the water, swimming under the water, doggy paddling. He finally was able to hold his breath and relax and feel confident. He was so proud of himself and I was so happy to see him do that. He now wears a new skin. He's a new person. He was excited to tell mom. He's like, don't tell mom. I'm going to tell mom. And he was just so happy for himself. Now, I've been wanting him to swim and he knows that. He knows it's been a big deal for me. But me coming from my achiever dominant value system, that orange within the uncommon success system, that side of me hasn't been able to help him to swim. It doesn't really resonate as strongly with him as it might with another child. What has worked was his grandma playing with him and maybe I wasn't there, so I didn't see what happened. I saw the end product. I was there to pick them up and play with them for a little bit before the end. And I've been going swimming with him all the time and I haven't been able to have this breakthrough. And grandma was there with him. I don't know, grandma has a lot more fun with him and she's able to be really chilled about it. And I've been angry that he's been using floats all the time. He's been using these donuts and but I actually saw well, he's, he's learning how to get himself around in the water and he's having fun in the water. And so I could see like, yeah, maybe this is going to work. And then they bought a sun lounge and maybe somewhere in the process of buying that sun lounge, there might have been a thing of like, hey, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? I don't know. I can't have deep conversations very easily with my mother-in-law because her first language is Polish. She also speaks German. We can converse I speak a little bit of both, but not to the depth to really understand what's what's going on. And so that's a challenge for me. That's another skin for me to shed or another ability for me to develop to be able to have that conversation. But what is it for you that you need to leave behind to get to the next level? I've had to leave behind some of this achiever side, and this is what I've been experiencing a lot over the last few weeks. It literally has saved my marriage. It's also transforming my business. But better than that, it's transforming my personal experience of life. I'm literally stepping into more of the green, which is the next phase in the color evolution. It comes from the spiral dynamic system of Claire Graves. That's what Uncommon Success Development and Levels of Human Development is based around he was a lecturer to Maslow in the hierarchy of needs. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is really well understood. But the spiral dynamic is actually a much, much more in-depth, better, more nuanced system for understanding personal development. And so for me, it's been leaving behind a little bit of that. But I thought I would reflect and, and maybe challenge you of what are the skins that you've left behind? Can you name them? And what happened for you on the other side? So I'm going to share a few of mine and then I'd love to hear also from you what skins you've shared, shed and what impact that's had. So the first one would probably be the Olympic athlete, that identity of an athlete, winning in sports. That was the biggest thing for me between from my earliest memories until sort of the age of 21 when I gave up on that Olympic dream to go and see the world. I probably didn't fully give up on that dream until maybe 22, 23, but that was the identity. And I gave that identity up because I was so curious about how the world works and so troubled by how the world works. I was studying more politics than I was exercise science during my last year of university. 
And I really wanted to understand what was going on in the lyrics of Rage Against the Machine and NoFX. And so I looked up, looked it all up. I looked up Howard Zinn, Noam Chomsky, and I really wanted to understand the people's history of the United States of America. And I researched a lot of Latin American history and I wanted to go and experience it for myself. Of Like, well, if this is all the stuff that's happened, like how are people living over there? Like, what does it look like now? Maybe it's dangerous for me to go there. Maybe they're really going to dislike people who have anything like an American background but I need to go and see for myself I need to go and live the results of this history that I'm reading about and so I became a backpacker I literally gave up the Olympic athlete thing backpacker is probably not the right word it was like an explorer a vagabond an investigator but I learned Spanish so that I could hitchhike and speak to truck drivers and understand what their experience of the civil war was I spoke to someone, you know, one of the men that I spoke to had lost his lower leg. He'd been recruited into like a paramilitary. He was trained in the United States. He went back and fought against his own people who had more kind of communist uh, ideology. And so, you know, I, I don't know who's, you know, it's not about right or wrong or any of these things, but hearing these people's stories was just so powerful. Coming from an apolitical background in Australia, I didn't really understand left and right uh, I didn't really care who the government was or what they did. And then I was living in Latin America where I would go to a party in Venezuela during Chavez's prime and the 16-year-old kids would be drinking beers, speaking about Marxism versus capitalism. And they could have like a nuanced discussion about politics because politics was such a big deal in their country. And so that, that was the next identity that I had was sort of this political activist, traveler, and I was trying to work it out. You know, what is the economic model that can work? I wanted to find a way that I could live. I wanted to find a place where I could live. I wanted to find a culture that was livable. I lived in the mountains of Mexico, in Chiapas, uh, with the Tzotzil people. I lived in Oaxaca and in Oaxaca. Uh, and I, you know, interacted with the people of of those hills, in the, in the hills of, of Oaxaca and I wanted to understand their life, but I kind of wanted to live there. I kind of wanted to find a place where it's like I could be and and feel like there was a good culture. There was something I could do there. I could be of value and build some sort of solution to the challenges that I'd sort of read about and, and experienced in my travels. Like I could see that, hey, this economic system, like it's not really working for everybody. Like these, there's a helicopter pad over there. And a luxury boat and these these kids over here with distended bellies and no shoes and living in the dirt. That was the reality that I saw in Guatemala. I worked in an orphanage for a few months. Most of those children had either seen their parents killed or they'd been abandoned. Like these were beautiful young children with massive potential that had been left. And, you know, a lot of them were kind of up for adoption and that can be a bit of a troublesome scene as well. I don't know the stuff that was going on uh, with that. If you've looked at like Underground Railroad and you've kind of gone into what's going on in the world, then I could feel that there was some funny vibes about what was happening in that place. But like, like you, like anyone, you want to do something good. Like you want to make an impact on those things. And when you can't, it's painful, you know, it's troublesome. And so that was the next skin was like leaving behind that political activist um, identity and the, the person, the, the explorer, 
And I became a strength coach again because I just I couldn't figure out how to do anything in that realm. I was part of different organizations. I was starting up organic food production things and micro companies and work teaching English. And I was trying to find a life, but I, I just couldn't find a life. And it was unlivable. My health was deteriorating. I was lonely. I was poor. It was fun as well at different times. Don't get me wrong. Like there's adventure in, in all of this, but... I needed something else. I knew I needed something else. And so I became a strength coach again. I was looking for something to do. I was thinking about being a personal trainer and I got offered the opportunity to go to France with Trent Robinson. And it was it was a shock to me because I'd spent six years as this political activist, vagabond type. And I didn't even know if I could do the job. I was going to be head of the strength program, head of strength and conditioning. You know, it's a small staff. So it's basically head of performance, nutrition, you know, everything. Uh, Trent was kind of the head of performance, to be honest, because he had a background in that stuff. And he was overseeing the bigger picture more. Um, but I was holistic in my own way. And so I became a strength coach. And we, the team had come last the year before. And so there was a new roster, a new coach, new vibe, everyone was ready for change. And we, we made the playoffs in that first year, and we were competitive. And there was a huge positive buzz around that. And it felt great. Like I got to experience that achiever side and it was a phenomenal experience living in France. I learned French. I met new people. I had my own little apartment, you know, on the water and I had some stability in my life. I had the opportunity to read books. I had some resources where I could afford things. Again, I wasn't dirt poor. Some people liked me. I had a social circle. I lived right near Clint Greenshields and he introduced me to a lot of new things and, and good thoughts and I was growing and I could feel myself growing and I was still a bit lonely and, you know, doing my thing, but I still felt a bit like a fish out of water because I'd been this political activist and now I was part of a rugby league team and sponsored by whoever rugby league teams are sponsored by. It's kind of superficial next to what I'd experienced there in Latin America in some ways, but I knew it was there was growth there for me. And so when Trent Robinson got headhunted back to the, the Roosters, and he took my father's job or my father had been sacked. Uh, my brother lost his role there and Trent became the head coach. I was at a crossroads again of like, okay, do I stay here where it's kind of safe and things are quite good? I like French. I don't really want to be in Sydney. I'm still kind of out of the rat race in a lot of ways. I'm liked here. Um, you know, it's beautiful landscapes. It's very calm. But I knew it wasn't going to be the same without Trent, the culture of the team. And I thought I either need to leave being a strength coach and find something else to do, which I didn't know what that would be, or I needed to apply and, and try and go with, with Trent to the Roosters. And so I applied and I went. You know, I got, I got the role. Uh, they had other applicants, but they selected me. Obviously, I had an inside running because I'd had two winning years there with Trent. The second year at the Catalan Dragons, the team held first place. For a number of weeks, we were really a top four team. Um, so it was a huge transition that had been made during those two years. I don't know what part I played in the change in, in culture and the change in physical ability. I played the best part that I could, and I know that we did better, and that's all I know. Um, but yeah, I went to the Roosters then as the strength coach. So that was kind of a shedding of skin of going from small-time team, quiet place, out of uh, sort of harm's way in a way, like still kind of hiding, still kind of a little bit in that backpacker mentality 
to you know Sydney, heart of rugby league, uh, the club that my father had been at. That was a challenge, another another skin, another challenge. And so we weren't expected to do very well. It was rumoured that Trent Robinson was selected as a interim coach and that Craig Bellamy or one of the, the big-name coaches was going to come in. Roosters were known for having a lot of money. They picked up this rookie coach, and so it seemed like maybe a short-term thing. I don't know if that was the mindset of the, uh, the board of directors and the people who made that decision when he came in, but we... It was clear that we needed to get results quite quickly. That's how we both felt. Uh, I think everybody felt that way, players, staff. And so we went in all guns blazing and it was an opportunity to go to another level again. And that's the cool thing about when you shed these skins that you get to reinvent yourself. In what ways have you reinvented yourself? What have you had to leave behind to start again, to go all in again and, and start from scratch and see what you can do? So I had to go all in again, start from scratch with the Sydney Roosters, and I did. Like I, I reinvented the program. I did a completely different style of programming. It was a new program each week, and each player had their own program, and it was a different, a different culture in the gym to what I'd had at the Catalan Dragons. Like I went for full energy. I was like really aggressive and combative initially with the players, um, encouraging them to compete hard in the gym. We were maxing out Olympic lifts and. You know, some people strongly disagree with that style of training, but I can tell you culturally, it was a revolution that needed to happen in that group. The accounting department department was above the gym, <laughs> all the office staff at the rugby team, and they were like, "What the? What is going on down there?" Our players were blowing the roof off the gym <laughs> with the staff upstairs listening in, thinking, "I wonder what this is going to mean for the team this year." But what it meant was. It played some degree of a part in us breaking the all-time defensive record for zero scorelines that year, winning the regular season, winning the grand final, winning the club challenge, uh, the club championship, winning the world championship. Everything that could be won was won that year. And that was like the actualization of, okay, well, like I'm probably okay at this strength coach thing. Like obviously the players, we had a great team and those players played phenomenally well. And all I was doing was doing my best to make sure that they were in the best position to play every game. And the coaches were making sure the tactics, everyone was doing their thing the best way that they could. Looking back, I'm, I'm very confident that I was playing a significant role culturally, which I probably wasn't that aware of, as well as physically. Um, and so, yeah, we won and it was like, okay, well, I'm kind of done here. I need to shed this skin. And so it was almost over at the end of that 2013 season. 2014 ended up being there part-time and it was a really funny year because I think I just didn't shed the skin um, in the way that maybe I needed to. But for whatever reason, I sort of had that mixed year of 2014 and then I transitioned. I left behind the best job in strength and conditioning that I could have imagined to work in terms of working with a pro team. Like rugby league was my, my thing, my sport. I was at the best club in the world. Um, we'd, we'd set a record, we'd, we'd done everything that could be done. A lot of people would stay, right? Generally, you stay when you do that. Like That's the dream for people who study exercise science, sports science, is to get to a winning team, help them to win, or get to a team, help them to win, and, and stay there. You know, you stay at the top. You have safety, security, if you're part of something successful. And because of your reputation, if you 
do happen to need to move on or whatever, which happens in professional sport, you've already got that baseline level of success where someone else is probably going to give you a job. They're probably going to give you a role. So I kind of set myself up for a, a decent career. At least I would have had the next 10 years and I'm pretty confident that I would be able to do that role for the rest of my life if I've chosen to go that path. But I needed to shed that skin because I still had that political side, all the things I'd experienced in Latin America, it wasn't gone. And so I became a mentor, a strength mentor. Can you see for yourself like where you've gone through these transitions or are you wearing a skin that's just way too tight and you need to make a big, big change? If you feel like that, like, yeah, I can tell you that when you do go all in on it and you get in a good environment to, to make that change, like there's nothing better. There's nothing better. And it doesn't stop, but it just gets better. So I became a mentor for strength coaches and I thought I was going to help other people to do what I'd done. Like there's all these people studying exercise and sports science out there. Surely some of them want to work in professional sports and win. I've just shown you I can do that. I'd love to help you to do that. That's what I thought I was going to do when I left the City Roosters. But it turned out that personal trainers were probably more interested in it because they were more commercially minded of like, if I'm the best trainer in my gym, in my town, I'm going to make more money. And so I ended up working with a lot of gym owners and people who wanted to be gym owners. So I helped over 100 people to open new gyms. I'd never had a gym myself. Um, I thought about it at different times, but I helped over 100 people who said like, I'd like to have a gym None of them closed because they didn't have enough clients and we didn't talk about business. We were just good. The culture was do a good job. And I think because I was so used to that in rugby league, like it was just a given that, hey, like you're a coach, like you got to be strong. You got to be getting results with these people. Like you got to have an elite environment. To me, it was so built in that I think it, it transferred without even speaking about it a lot of the time. Um, and I encourage coaches to get way out of their comfort zone, like learning to juggle, uh, learning to do handstands, getting coaches presenting, telling their stories. There was a huge public uh, speaking element to what we did with Real Movement and, and people grew. And so I got to be this strength mentor and that was pretty cool. And, and on the fringe of that, there was this vibe of like, one day we're going to do something to make the world better. Like there was a little bit more room for what I'd experienced in Latin America, just a little bit, not quite enough, but, but a bit. And so I did that from 2014 to 2018, 19, 20, became ATG for coaches, um, had the phase where I was working closely with Lucas Aaron, range of strength. I had phase where I was working closer with Mitch Pike, different people came and went as kind of partners in this, but Probably from 2016, I knew there's, there's got to be more here. <laughs> Every two years, it's like a, a skin shed for me. I don't know how long your cycles are, but like, yeah, two, two years into that, I was like, yeah, I've done this. Like I had maybe 60, 70 clients paying $10,000 a year. Um, I mean, business-wise, there were probably different things going on, like some people, different prices and you know, people on payment plans and I didn't have very good systems. I probably wasn't even very serious about business in terms of, you know, really wanting to like create an amazing customer experience and things like that. Like I'm much, much more aware and, and much, you know, I'm trying much harder and things are much better in terms of delivery and things like that. Um, 
online education was pretty new at that stage uh, in, in a lot of ways, especially in the strength realm. Like there's so many online courses now. There weren't really at that time. And I was doing one, but the live events were where the great things happened. And then, but yeah, 2016, I was like, I need to do something else. Like where's the next phase of this? What's happening? And so we bought a, we bought a village, like we bought a location to, to kind of build cabins on and turn it into a gym and have food production and things like that. Uh, and so that was the next, that was the next skin. That was the next phase. And I also tried to launch a franchise of gyms called Real You. And, and neither of those projects really worked. I kind of stagnated, I kind of crashed. And it was the first, I mean, it was, yeah, like I'd had success for maybe six years before that. So I was kind of thinking like everything I do works and then it didn't work. And so it wasn't until I got with Ben Patrick uh, really that momentum started to build again. In 2018, we started riffing. I saw what he was doing. He had like 50 online clients. I was like, man, you've solved something that no one else has solved here with this Poliquin system. Like you've decoded it and applied it and he hadn't actually decoded it. He just stumbled across a, a winning formula, but I was looking for the magic underlying formula that Poliquin had never explained publicly that I saw. And I saw Ben actually crack the code. There was like a riddle that was rolling around in my brain for at least a few years there of like, what is going on with like, there was something special about what Polycom was doing with his exercise selection that he didn't speak about, that, that no one understood. And it seemed like Ben understood it. Now he didn't understand it, but he had a magic formula of going from sled into step ups, into split squats, into sissy squats. And it was this progression of, very low connective tissue tension to very high connective tissue tension. And it turns out when you make that transition with load, then those tissues then tolerate extreme load, extreme high tension in plyometric type exercises. And so he cracked it. He cracked the code. And I was like, man, this is amazing. You've finally done it. And, you know, we spoke about like using social media for good. And we spoke about being ready to go on Joe Rogan. And he just did everything, <laughs> everything that I've ever dreamed about, everything that I've ever mentored, dreamed about mentoring someone towards. Like Ben did it. Ben was never a client of mine. We're just, you know, we're friends. We we're mutually supporting each other. We shared a lot of each other's stuff. We did a lot of podcasts together. But he was, you know, he's able to execute. He was able and is able to execute to a level that I never have been able to, a level of seriousness and discipline, consistency. And it's a level that I've never seen in another human, to be honest. Like I've never seen anyone execute in the way that he has. He decides like I'm going to have a big YouTube channel and then three or four months later, he has one of the biggest YouTube channels uh, in, in athletic development. Um, he did the same thing on Instagram, same thing, TikTok, same thing, wherever he decides to apply himself. Um, and so that was, you know, powerful for me as a, strength mentor than all the people that I'd worked with and then seeing Ben do that I was like wow there's there's so much more here if we can take things learn things to another level and so I started working with Paul Council as a money mentor Paul had had million dollar businesses in different industries and he was the smartest man I've ever spoken to he still is he had knowledge about all different topics and an ability to recall that knowledge and ability to create presentations there's nobody like him on, on YouTube. There's nobody like him that I've come across. There's all kinds of smart people out there who have specialized knowledge who are able to share that. You know, Balaji Srinivasan is one that comes to mind. He's a very, very well-developed intellect, 
shares phenomenal concepts. But Paul has the patience to sit and teach people how to become financially independent, how to become successful, how to understand themselves. So there's a psychology component, a business component, a financial component. And so that was kind of another skin for me of like, what if I became a business person? Like I am obviously missing some stuff here that Ben has for him to be able to blow up in the way that he's blowing up. There's something different about the way he runs his own mind that I want to understand. And so the psychology component of what we've done with Paul has been really interesting. But even just making the decision to be very successful in business, like Paul is the, probably the first person I've spoken to who said like, yeah, I'm chasing my third comma. I was like, chasing your third comma? It's like, yeah, chasing my third comma. I was like, shit, he means like he, he's planning on being a billionaire. Right. I haven't spoken to anyone who's planning on being a billionaire. And now I have two friends that are planning on being billionaires that have said it to me. Maybe there's others out there who haven't told me yet. If you're one of them, yeah, let me know. But that was that was challenging in itself. Like, okay, well, if you're planning on doing that, then what am I planning on? Like, seven figures seemed like a lot to me. The two comma club thing, click funnels and stuff was like, well, yeah, two commas, that's, that's pretty big. Um, so he just blew that up and massively expanded my frame of reference. Like, well... Who would I have to become to be in the three comma club? What would I have to do? Probably have to shed another skin, right? So Paul's work has really encouraged me to shed another skin. And that's really where uncommon success comes from. Like, can't just be the strength mentor anymore. I am still the strength mentor with ATG for coaches. And I, I love strength training. And I love that the world of strength training is changing rapidly because of ATG for coaches, because of ATG, but especially because of ATG for coaches. It's the coaches that are really driving the message out to the world. The coaches are the voice of ATG. And so we've done something very special there and I'm very proud to be a part of that. I love the, the community that we have in ATG for coaches, but still those bare feet, swollen bellies, the neglected children, the human potential just wasted. People doing the same job, sitting next to each other in the street, doing the same job, playing games on their phone. It's fine for those who choose to waste their potential. Like I don't have a problem with anyone choosing like, I am not going to explore my potential. I will at all costs waste as much time as possible and just let this life go by. And if I have some fun, then that's what I want from life. If that's the conversation that you've had with yourself and you're okay with that, then go for it. Like, I'm not here to tell you how to live. My experience is that there are many, many thousands, millions, particularly men, which is what I've worked with, who know that they have more potential and are frustrated to the point of making it very difficult to exist. They're frustrated that they don't know how to explore their potential don't know how to get to their potential. And it's like eating at them. That's who I've been. That's who I am. But every time I shed one of these skins, I get closer, closer to what I'm really meant to be doing. There's an idea that's using me. I'm here serving this idea. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's from God or the universe or embedded in me through generational things or 
somewhere in my genetic code or I don't know what it is. Maybe it comes from the TV. Maybe it was subliminally planted. But somewhere inside me, I know I'm here to help people have a better experience of life, to explore more of their potential and to figure out how we're meant to be living. Like how is the best way that we can live? And so I know that we need to create these physical environments that are constructed around that. Paul Council brought it to my attention that a house is constructed with the TV as the central focus point. The whole house is constructed to look at the TV. I've recently stayed in a luxury house here in Montenegro. I'm not there anymore. I'm staying in a one-bedroom studio. But in that house, there was a big TV in each room. and Everything's pointed at this box, right? What if it wasn't? How do we design life if life was designed to explore our potential? Buckminster Fuller thought that by this time, everybody would be sitting around discussing, working, using these devices to design the best possible life for humans, for us, for the people, for everyone. Why are we not doing that? Why are we using these devices in the way that we are using them? Now, I know you get good things out of content. If you're listening to this, then you probably listen to a lot of really good content. But it needs to go further than that. We need to have an an action component, an accountability component. And we need your ideas to be funded. And you need to have a role in a team that matters. I got to play a role in a team that matters. It was okay at the orphanage and, and at the projects in Latin America. I played a role in the team but it wasn't really what I was meant to be doing. And then I got to play that strength coach role where I was like a more dominant role, but the outcomes, the stakes weren't as high. The stakes were high in Latin America. If I could have nailed that, I could have made a huge impact on those children's lives or on the agriculture, industry, local community, helping people not to have to leave their local community to go live and do cheap labor in the United States and sneak across the border. I met so many people who'd been through that experience in search of material progress. I didn't want that for them, but I didn't know how to do anything about it. I couldn't do anything about it. So you have to find something you can solve that you can do something about. What is that role that you want to play? What role can you play right now? And what role are you going to play in the future? Play the role that you know how to play right now. And then at some point, you'll need to shed that skin to some degree and play that next role. When when. Ben Patrick went on the Joe Rogan podcast and they started talking about the education system. I was super excited. I'm so excited for that conversation to be had on that platform because the network is there on that platform to literally create a new education system in line with everything that I'm talking about here. It's not so far away. Does Ben Patrick get to go back on the Rogan podcast when he has his own curriculum and when his own school is working? What happens then? After he went on the, ben, on the Joe Rogan podcast last time, thousands of people's knees got better. Thousands of people jumped on the ATG online program. A few people jumped on the ATG for coaches program, even though it wasn't mentioned there. I did get a little shout out myself. I'm not going to lie. The ego loves that. Like it's a, it's, a, it's a nice thing to get a mention on the Joe Rogan podcast, especially when I'd put so much of my life force behind helping ATG become the dominant training system for athletes in the world. It's maybe not there yet, but it's closing in on it. There's a good change happening. I believe it's a really, really positive change that we're seeing. And it's sparking the debate of how much mid-range work do we need 
How does it all fit together? I don't think we've solved it all yet. We need to stay in the mystery, keep making things better. I can tell you that the discussion is going every day of how to make the ATG system better. And people are considering the other perspectives. And some coaches have significantly different perspectives to what I have or to what Ben Patrick has within ATG for coaches. That's a great thing. But we have to keep shedding these skins. And so the next skin to shed after getting myself going again with this new version of ATG online and and real movement, which is online. And it was probably a a very different vibe to the real movement, the first real movement that was very events-based and didn't have much of an online component. And I was pretty lazy about the customer experience. Like I started to actually really work hard on the customer experience and really care about the digital online experience. And that's been a great learning. And then the newest skin is this uncommon success of, okay, like I've had more success in business than I thought I ever could have had. How do I apply what I've learned from Ben Patrick, what I learned from Paul Council and help more people to have financial abundance so that we can really start to solve some of these challenges or at least have an attempt, you know, at least play our best game. That's all we can do really. The outcome we can't control, but we can control how we play the game. And so the villages, the Uncom villages, it feels like the next skin and it's really challenging for me. Like thinking about laying out the village, seeing it being built, you know, I, I guess I've got like some pain, some trauma from like how much it cost and how much energy it took to try to build what we built in Yukai. And it was, it didn't, it never became anything like what I wanted it to be, like the farm that I had in Australia. And so going at it again, I want it to be better. I want to build something special where people can come from different parts of the world and have time there and, you know, either live there for a while and, and really build out a new product build a new body, go back to where they came from or go back to somewhere new and and have a better experience of life. Like if we can design physical locations that help people to have that transformation, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's, that's a very good thing. That's, that's right at the core of what I've always wanted to do. And so now we're, we're doing this thing. We're building these villages. And I speak to people like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I'm like, bro, just write it down. Tell us exactly what you want to do. Tell us where the land is or tell us where you want to have land and let's start. You don't have to build a big luxury project like what we're building in Vanuatu. We've got these designs for a project that's probably going to be you know, multiple millions to build out. We've got over a million dollars pledged to the project already just from this tiny little community that we have before we've even told anyone about what we're doing with Uncommon Success. Like it's a super small business at the moment. There's going to be tens of thousands of us doing this, building these businesses, linking together in the not too distant future. We're going to be building out these villages. But you don't have to have like that grand massive plan like Vanuatu. Like have a place where you can pitch a yurt. I stayed in a yurt in Switzerland we paid probably 40 euros, I don't know, 50 euros for the night. I don't remember. A big yurt with a fireplace in the middle. Like put a yurt on your land where you can sleep. This one would have slept like 20 people. It's like beds all around, stretcher beds, big yurt, Mongolian tent. Put a yurt, have a chin-up bar, a dip bar made out of you know metal and wood and get this done for under $100.00. Find some bars that are laying around. Find some cement. You can have a gym and a place to sleep. 
And then all we need is brains. We've already got this big frame of reference, this big education system that we've, we've got access to with Uncommon Success. Like it's, it's my life's work. It's all the people who've had the most influence on me. You know, I went and spent $65,000 to go and spend time with Bob Proctor in Hawaii for a few days. Everything that I've done, everything that I've learned, all the people that have had the most influence on me, they're there in that platform. But what's also cool is that every member is encouraged to play their role and to build their notion and to share the resources that have made the most difference to them. So if you meet someone and you're like, man, this person's cool. Like they've got their stuff together. They've built a good business. Like I like them. Then you can go and dig in their second brain. That's what notion is. It's a second brain concept where if you're transparent about what's in your second brain, then we know the work that you've done. I'm telling you my experience, all the, the skins that I've had to shed to get to where my life is today. And I'm inviting you to consider what skin you might have to shed to get to where you really want to be. Maybe you've got more things that you need to go through before you can start your village. Or maybe you're ready to start it right now and you can make a, a location available and you can start becoming the person who could invite people to that space. Now, what's cool is everyone who's going to come to that space, like imagine that you have a little bit of land somewhere, you put the yurt, you have the gym stuff. You might not be ready to run events there and, and have people invest $1,000 to spend the weekend with you. Ten people do that once a month. That becomes your life. That becomes your business if your goal is to make $100,000 a year. But before you're ready to do that, maybe you're not ready to do that yet. What if you just invited the other Uncommon Success people there? What if you invited people from your gym? Create a space where this culture that we're building, these values that we're building can be experienced and experimented with in a physical location. So everyone can start and that would be something that I would encourage because you are going to shed a skin in this process. You are going to rebirth yourself in this process. And so hopefully that helps. You know, my son just went through the journey of going from non-swimmer to swimmer, from feeling unsafe in the water to safe. I'm rebirthing, rebuilding myself as one of these village owners. And in this role of a mentor that goes beyond strength, building more into the psychological realm, building more into the emotional realm, building more into business knowledge. I don't know it all. I know that I've built multiple million dollar businesses. I know that I've helped a bunch of other people to build million dollar businesses through different components of strategy. But it's the attitudes and the beliefs. It's the character and the values. These are the things that when we have them, then everything's, the skill stuff is easier. Everyone's teaching skills. Everyone's telling you they've got the skills. I've got a system that changes your attitude, changes your beliefs about yourself and about the world, changes your character to become the kind of person who can do the kind of things that you want to do. And you, be, you become more aware of your values. Like this is, what I'm telling you save my marriage. What I'm telling you is like given much more meaning to my work is a shift in values that's more towards the green in this Gravesian system of like caring about other people's emotions and feelings and deriving more joy from things that are going on. We have to have the, the conditions must change 
people don't people resist change when it's not their choice people hate being changed people love change when it's their choice and so i chose to change in this emotional realm of like okay i need to find a way here to enjoy my life with my family more to be more loving to shift who I am with them, to not turn up as this high achiever, run through the brick walls, business person, athlete, that person, it doesn't work with my family. So I need to find something else and it's far from finished, but I know that I have changed. I'm not going back. And I can feel that in relationships with people at work. It's not perfect, but I can feel that there's more of an emotional connection. We're more on the same page. And some people that I've worked with for a long time, they're very green values dominant and I've had no awareness of that. So our attitudes, beliefs and character and value, our values can all, can all be shifted in a, in a different direction, a better direction to fit with our goals. That is what uncommon success, that's what makes it different. Introduce you to other people's stuff, books and courses, that stuff's easy. What's challenging is to become the kind of person to change the identity, to change the underlying conscious and subconscious factors that are really going to make the difference on whether we achieve what we want to achieve or not, or whether we experience what we want to experience or not. And so that's the story of shedding skins. What skin have you shed? What skins do you need to shed? Love to hear your thoughts. Love to hear what comes up for you when you listen to this. Speak soon. Keegan Smith for Uncommon Success. UncommonSuccess.com if you want to be a part of this. It's $97 a year. If you have a better use for $97, please let me know. I'm unaware of it. $2 a week. We're building something special. You're invited. Let's speak soon.